Welcome to this presentation of First Baptist Church Logue. We're glad to have you joining us today. Our mission at FBC Logue is to bring glory to God by being disciple makers. For that purpose, we present the following resource that it may be a blessing. All right, as the kids are dismissed to Children's Church, you can grab a Bible and turn to Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14, and in case you use one of our pew Bibles, you'll find that on page 874. And while you're finding your places, as we're getting further into the second half of Luke's story, you may have noticed that Jesus' destiny in Jerusalem is beginning to loom larger and larger. And with that, Jesus has become increasingly direct and even confrontational about who he is and what he has come to do and the, demand, the response that he demands from people in order for them to enter the kingdom of God. And now this morning, Jesus is going to give what is probably his most challenging teaching in all of his ministry uh, as he urges us all to count the cost of discipleship. And so we're in Luke chapter 14, and we're going to begin reading this morning in verse 25. It says, Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And so last week, Jesus used the occasion of being invited to a banquet at the house of a Pharisee to, to point us forward to the great heavenly banquet that God is preparing for his people. And he revealed that, that the people we might expect to be there are not the people who actually will be there. And now as we pick up the story again this morning, Jesus is back on the road as he continues making his way to Jerusalem. Uh, Luke reminds us here in verse 25 that Jesus is being accompanied by great crowds. And if you remember back to chapter 12, we saw that it's gotten to the point where, where there are so many people that it's, it's actually impossible to count them all accurately. And at one point, Jesus stops and turns to address the crowd. And he says to them, if anyone comes to me, and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, I imagine that that statement got people's attention in much the same way that it continues to get our attention today. And so at first glance, we may wonder what on earth is Jesus talking about when he calls us to hate people in order to follow him? Well, first of all, we should understand that the word hate is being used comparatively here, not, not literally. Uh, obviously, if Jesus calls us to love all people, then we can't actually hate anybody. But we also need to remember that biblically speaking, love and hate are not primarily emotional. Right? They, can, they can involve emotions, but, but love, as we've said many times before, is not a feeling as much as it is a commitment to another person and to their well-being. So the point here is that in the context of, of discipleship, our commitment to Jesus 
must be greater than our commitment to anybody else, including our closest and most meaningful human relationships. We could say that our love for Jesus should make our love for others look like hate in comparison. Now, this is no small teaching, is it? In the ancient world, the the family unit comprised the closest relationships that a person could have, relationships that demanded loyalty. And of course, it's not always like that today in the modern world. Some people aren't very close with their biological family at all. But this statement includes the most meaningful human relationships that we might have, whoever that might include. And this interpretation, this understanding comes across even more clearly in a similar statement that Jesus makes in Matthew 10, verses 35 through 37, where he says, For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household." Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And so the bigger picture of this teaching anticipates the fact that there will be circumstances where following Jesus brings the disapproval of family members or, or of other close relationships and where those people attempt, us, or attempt to stop us from continuing down the path of obedience. And in that situation, we will have to determine whether we love Jesus more than we love our friends and family, which will be made clear by whether or not we continue uh, to, to be faithful to what Jesus has called us to do. And Jesus says here that anyone who is unwilling to lose human relationships or human approval cannot be his disciple. And the point is that Jesus must have our ultimate allegiance in life. And certainly around the world, our brothers and sisters in the faith have experienced this for centuries as they have been rejected and persecuted and even killed by angry family members and former friends who are offended by their new allegiance to Christ. While things are not as violent here in America, this is still very important for us to hear and to consider because our culture increasingly weaponizes relationships in order to encourage conformity under any number of different issues. Of course, we've all become familiar with cancel culture, where where anyone who dares to step out and and think or to say or do something outside of the, the, the cultural norm is ostracized until they get back in line again. But this happens in interpersonal relationships as well. We see this on on social media. If you you voted for this person, or if you have this opinion on a particular issue, you know what, just go ahead and unfriend me. If If that's who you are and that's what you think, then I don't want to interact with you anymore. If that's what you're going to do, then you're going to lose me in that process. Or in families, over the last couple of years, we've seen situations where, where if you got the COVID vaccine, or if you didn't get the COVID vaccine, then don't even bother showing up to my house for Thanksgiving. Right? If, if that's who you are, then, then we're not going to do this anymore. You're not welcome here anymore. And those are just a couple of examples. But as our culture continues to move full speed in the opposite direction of a biblical worldview, we can already see examples of people, again, weaponizing relationships in an effort to get people to compromise their faith. Whether it's the exclusive view that Jesus is the only way to salvation that is seen as narrow-minded, 
or the Bible's teaching on, on issues of gender and, and sexuality, which are seen as bigoted, or, or whatever the next issue becomes that blows up, there, there are situations where people say, listen, if you want to be part of my life, if you want to hold this family together, if you want to see your grandkids eventually, then you need to chill out with this Jesus stuff. I've, I've heard about as much as I care to hear. I want you to agree with me. I want you to support me. Or at the very least, I want you to act like it's not really that big of a deal. And of course, it goes without saying that, that it takes great wisdom for us to understand how to navigate those situations. And there's not necessarily a one-size-fit-all approach. But at the end of the day, what we see here is that we must be willing to lose relationships in order to be faithful to Jesus if that's what it comes to. And the idea that we can just go along to get along falls short of what Jesus calls us to as disciples. And the fact is, I know some of you have already experienced this on some level, and you understand that it is hard. It is really hard. You know, if it was just going to be like one difficult conversation, one really intense confrontation, I could do that. I wouldn't, wouldn't enjoy doing it, but I could handle that. But the unfortunate reality is that far too often the, the awkwardness and, and the, the challenge and the emotional anguish is not just a one-time thing. It's, a, it's an extended season that may go for years or even decades. And the Lord must help us to be faithful to him no matter what. Just one other thought on this before we move on. Oftentimes when people do choose to compromise, uh, they do it out of a desire to maintain the relationship in hopes that this, this person will eventually come to see their error and, and come back around again. But church, we have to understand that if we capitulate to what the world desires, then we're no longer challenging it in any meaningful way. Right? What would cause them to, to consider another alternative if it's not being presented to them? Right, the hard reality is that if we really believe that what the scriptures teach is true, then it is unloving of us to not attempt to intervene in the lives of someone that we love. Right, if you saw someone about to walk off a cliff, I assume you would do anything you possibly could to keep them from going off the side. Right, even if they were in a, a bad place mentally and wanted to go off the other side. And yet so often as people make eternally destructive decisions in their lives, we stay quiet in hopes that they'll somehow figure it out on their own. But here Jesus calls us to love others enough to be willing to lose them over the truth. Now before we move on, we should also see that Jesus' teaching here also requires us to hate our own lives. And in verse 27 he adds, Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now, obviously, the image of a cross reminds us and, and points us to the reality of crucifixion, which is the, the Roman method of execution that forced the condemned person to carry their own crossbeam to the place of death. And so this is a, a vivid reminder that we must be willing to lay down our own desires, our own ambitions and plans for our lives in order to follow wherever the Lord might lead us. The bottom line is that if we are disciples, then our lives do not belong to us. And Jesus is going to move on to illustrate his point as we pick up again, beginning in verse 28. 
He says, For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. So picking up in verse 28, Jesus illustrates his point with other examples from real life. First, he compares the decision to follow him with the decision to build a tower, whether that tower be for uh, security purposes or, or for storage purposes. And Jesus points out that before a person builds a tower, they need to sit down and crunch the numbers to make sure that they can afford to do it. Otherwise, you could end up with a, a pile of bricks with no roof on top of it that, that it serves no purpose and can't be used for anything, and now you're also broke because you've spent all your money and you're embarrassed. The point is it would have been better not to start at all, keep your money, than to have started and not finish. Similarly, in verse 31, Jesus compares the decision to follow him with a king deliberating over whether or not to go out to battle against a king with a, a larger army. And he emphasizes that if you think you can win, that's great. But if you don't think you can win, then you need to try to negotiate terms of peace. The last thing you want to do is, is go into battle and be in the heat of battle and then decide it's not going well and then try to surrender. Because now you're going to be under the rule of the other king anyway, but now you've lost a lot of soldiers in the process. Again, it would have been better not to start at all than to start and not finish. And the point is to understand what we're getting into before we get into it. Right? The results of going part way and then changing our minds can be disastrous. And Jesus emphasizes that we shouldn't just assume that following him is what we want to do without considering what it's going to require, only to find that discipleship is more challenging than we bargained for, and then back out. And then in verse 33, he summarizes by saying, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. And again, Jesus uses hyperbole, a certain degree of hyperbole anyway, to make his point. We've already seen previously that Jesus doesn't actually expect us to give away everything that we own, but he does expect us to use our finances and our resources for the purposes of the kingdom. But more specifically here, the idea is that we need to hold everything in our lives loosely because we need to be prepared to give it up. Following Jesus may require us to part with things that we care deeply about, whether he calls us to give it away or whether we have it taken from us by those who oppose us. Because if we are unwilling to let go of those things, then when push comes to shove, we will not be willing to follow through with discipleship. And then Jesus is going to close with a final illustration as we pick up again, beginning in verse 34. He says, salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It's thrown away. He who has ears to hear, 
let him hear. So in verses 34 and 35, Jesus closes his teaching on real discipleship with an illustration using salt. He says, salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? There's no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. Now the reality is that salt in of itself can't actually lose its saltiness. Right? That's part of its chemical makeup. Right? But uh, what happens to appear to be salt may not actually be salt. You see, for most Jews in the first century, salt was, was gained from the Dead Sea when water would evaporate and leave salt deposits behind. Right? But along with that salt were, were other substances that looked like salt but weren't actually salt. And so in the process of using it in a person's experience, it could seem as if a particular chunk of salt had in fact lost its flavor, when in fact it, it was never truly salt to begin with, but in that case it would just be thrown out into the trash. And the point is that if we claim to be disciples, if we want to be associated with or, or as disciples, but we aren't doing what disciples are called to do, then like non-salt, we are not serving a purpose and are tr not truly disciples in any meaningful sense at all. Uh, like the parable of the four soils back in chapter 8, there are those who may appear to follow Jesus for a certain time, but they ultimately lose interest or shrink back in the face of difficulty and so prove to be false converts. And Jesus closes by saying, he who has ears to hear let him hear, which we've seen before is a, an expression that calls people to give careful attention to what has just been said. And so in our passage this morning, Jesus confronts the crowd about the cost of true discipleship. And he insists that nothing less than a total commitment to him is acceptable. As we've said, discussed before in the past, Jesus sets the terms for discipleship, not us. Jesus sets the terms for discipleship. He doesn't say, you know, I really prefer that my people do this, this, and this, but, but it's really up to you whether or not you want to do that or not. No, he says, unless you are fully committed to me and to my purposes, you cannot be my disciple. And I think so, so often churches feel a temptation to lower the bar of discipleship as low as possible. And we, we soft-pedal discipleship probably because we want people to come to church and we don't want to do anything that makes them feel uneasy or awkward or, or that makes them not want to come back. But, but it's interesting that Jesus doesn't seem to be worried about that. He's upfront about the fact that being his disciple requires everything about us and he doesn't apologize for it. And especially as Americans, we tend to portray the Christian life as, as sort of a buffet, right? You come to faith in Jesus and you get in line and then there's, there's spread out in front of you a host of, of different spiritual experiences and disciplines and you just get to go along and make up your plate. So you've got Bible study over here and prayer and then there's church membership and suffering and persecution and it's all there and we just, we go along and we say, oh, I like that, I'll take some of that. Or I've, I've never had that before, but I'll, I'll try a little bit of that. Ooh, that looks gross. I definitely don't want anything to do with that. And we try to make our little customized discipleship plates that, that suit our own tastes and desires. But Jesus says that discipleship is a package deal. He says you either take it all 
or you don't take it at all. And certainly as a pastor, I feel the tug of wanting people to come to church and not wanting to do anything unnecessary that leads them to, to not come back again. Certainly glad that all of you are here this morning. I hope you continue to come. But in light of Jesus' words in our passage this morning, it would be pastoral malpractice for me to give you the impression that simply being here is enough. Jesus is not looking for a crowd. He's looking for disciples. We see here that Christianity is not a religious hobby. It is a lifestyle that is characterized by obedience to all of Jesus' commandments. Jesus will either have all of us or he will not have us at all. And this is something that we need to sit with and to think about for a while. Of course, the unstated premise in this entire conversation is the fact that Jesus is worthy of our total commitment and devotion because of who he is. He is the God who created and who sustains the universe. Who else could call such loyalty from us but God? And not only that, but Jesus is worthy of our total devotion because he has saved us from eternal judgment by taking the punishment we deserve to receive for our sin for us. In his life, death, and resurrection, Jesus held nothing back for us. He calls us to respond to his offer of grace by trusting in him and what he has done, and then by living, by holding nothing back for him. I think of what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who, who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Church, Jesus is an all-out Savior who is looking for all-out disciples. He's not interested in anything less, and we should desire to give him nothing less. And so as we hear Jesus' teaching this morning, it's worth asking ourselves some questions. Is there someone in your life who has veto power over your discipleship? Is there someone that you're not willing to cross in order to be faithful to Jesus? Is there a, a possession or an ambition of, for your life that limits how far you're willing to follow the Lord? Is there an area of your life that you are desperately trying to hold on to rather than submitting it to Jesus? Is there somewhere you won't go or something that you won't do? Friends, if we are to be disciples, then Jesus and his word must determine the course of our lives, whether other people approve of that or not. This morning we see that following Jesus is a costly decision, and so we should consider it carefully. We also see, hopefully, that following Jesus is more than worth it, and so we should do it without delay. So may the Lord give us grace to count the cost of discipleship and follow Jesus fully. Let's pray together.